We're starting the series Advent uh, because that's the celebration that we're doing in terms of uh, a tradition we're doing for Christmas this year. Now, Christmas is one of my very favorite times of year. Um, Christmas is going to be celebrated all over the world in some variation, form, and fashion over the majority of the, of the globe. And, uh, and, and most people are going to do it in some you know, some way. It may not be the way we do it. It may not be the way uh, we celebrate it as followers of Christ, but that's okay, okay? But that we, we're going to continue to share the message of why we celebrate uh, Christmas. And that journey, if you've been at journey for any number of years, you know that we do not necessarily uh, try to hold tight to any tradition at Christmas. I mean, I've been almost straight sacrilegious when it comes to Christmas, all right? I've hung disco balls and put retro 70s things up. I've done all sorts of things when it comes to Christmas to try to help us bring some fresh perspective to the story and to the meaning of Christmas. But this year, in order to do the same thing, we've decided to bring in some heritage, okay? Heritage from our Christian faith, from the church of Christ, and to bring in some heritage and some liturgy um, called Advent. And I want to give you some, because, I mean, you see this, and if you were here early enough, you, you heard the family read the scriptures. We're going to be doing that every week and lighting the candles, and it's part of this tradition and celebration of Advent. And uh, I don't take for granted that everybody knows what this means, okay? I don't take for granted that everybody understands fully uh, where Advent came from, why it is such a rich uh, thing for, for many denominations and for, for, for God's church. So I want to give you a few things over the next several weeks just for you to know, okay, when it comes to Advent and why uh, we celebrate it. Advent in the Latin really does just mean coming. You heard Chris say that earlier. It means coming, it means waiting, it means expectation, lots of, lots of ways to say it, but... Uh, Advent means coming, and the reason that we are called the people of Advent, people of God, is because we celebrate Jesus' birth, the Advent, the coming of Jesus in his birth, but we also, in terms of the New Testament church, celebrate it as Jesus' return. So it's not just the fact that we celebrate his coming in terms of just remembering why Christmas exists, but we also, as the church, celebrate his coming again, because that's what Jesus said. He said, I'm going to come again. And a few more things about Advent. Um, you're not going to find Advent in Scripture. You're not going to find the Word. You're not going to find a, a, either a prescriptive, a prescriptive or descriptive uh, doctrine in terms of why you have to practice Advent in Scripture because it's not there. Okay? It's not there. But it is a tradition. Nod your head if you're with me. Tradition, right? Tradition. And it's 1,600 plus years old. Like, like the first few times you see it referenced is at the uh, Council of Saragossa in Spain. Um, this is not, cre this day, they didn't create Advent, but they recognized that the church was already doing it. They recognized the church was already celebrating. They called it Advent. They talked about why they celebrated it this way. And the council actually confirmed it and affirmed it in the council that this was a good thing for the church to celebrate the coming of Jesus and his return. So it's a 1,600-plus-year-old tradition. It wasn't always a wreath, but I'll tell you more about that in the coming weeks. It's also something you can celebrate individually and corporately. So corporately, we're going to do this, and individually, you can do it as well. We'll send you out another email. My wife made a quick video of how you can make your own like Advent wreath at home. It's not too hard. Uh, if it is too hard for you, we give you an Amazon link so you can order one online, right? Every say amen for Amazon, right? Okay. <laughs> you order one online, I understand. Uh, uh, Shin ordered one for the youth, a really cool pewter. Uh, you can order some really cool ones online as well. So if you do that, but you can do it with your family of one or a family of 15, okay? You have the opportunity as a per part of your personal 
celebration of, of, of Christmas to bring Advent into your home and to remember and celebrate um, all these representations in terms of what we light the candles for and as we prepare for Christmas, as we remember the story. Today, as you maybe heard in the beginning, we, we lit the candle to celebrate hope. Okay? Hope is the first candle, it's the first theme, if you will, of the Advent. Now, the reason it starts with hope is because every beginning, ha- every story has a beginning, right? Every story has a beginning, and sometimes even before the beginning of the story, there's a prequel. How many like prequels? Like, are you with me? I love prequels, whether it's books and stories, or if I'm really engrossed in a story, I love hearing why the story is the way it is, right? That's what the prequel really is, and that's what hope represents in terms of the advent is all the, the prequel, if you will, all we call it prophetic scripture in the Old Testament, in the Jewish scriptures, that talk about and point to what happened at Christmas. So I, just to let you know, I promise you, we're going to get to the baby and the manger and the angels and the hark. You know, we're going to get there, okay? Um, but today, we're starting with hope because we start with the prequel. We start with why. We start with why. And the question really is, why did the world need Jesus? Like, why did that have to happen? And the the easiest, simplest way to answer that is in one word, and that is brokenness. Brokenness. Without getting too much into the theological um, doctrine of original sin and the fall of man and everything that happened in Genesis, which I'm not going to get into today, I think everybody here can have a common agreement and a common understanding that we all experience the brokenness of this world. Nod your head, yes? We can all agree on that. And so we're not living in paradise. So whether it's the big picture that we see in terms of earthquakes and tsunamis and floods and disease and poverty and pestilence and slavery and corruption and the mayhem and evil of this world, we also experience it at a personal level with betrayal and abuse and sicknesses and cancer and mental illness and broken relationships and rebellious uh, family members and toxic friendships and maybe even the way we, in which we lose family members and loved ones. Everyone experiences the brokenness of this world. You will not escape experiencing the brokenness of this world. So the answer to why did the world need Jesus is because hope. And who needs hope? Everyone, right? We all need it. We all need hope because we are all going to experience the brokenness of this world. And <clears throat> maybe that's you today. You know, maybe that's, maybe that's you in terms of Maybe you came in here and you're neck deep in the hurt and the pain and the struggle of this life. You barely made it to church. We're glad you're here. Maybe that's you in terms of uh, just because of the Christmas season, you're going to rub shoulders with and you're going to be engaging with friends and family members and coworkers and people in your circle that, quite honestly, they are experiencing the brokenness of this world and the brokenness that sin has caused. And they're going to be looking to you because you are followers of Christ. You are the people of hope. They're going to be looking for, how do I find hope in the midst of this brokenness? How do I find hope in the midst of this darkness? And so whether that's you or whether that's, again, you kind of engaging with others, as we talk about hope today, we want to look at some of the prophetic scriptures as to why the Christmas story was necessary. Why did the world need Jesus. Isaiah wrote it this way. Uh, If you were here, you heard a little bit of Isaiah this morning. Isaiah's got a lot of prophetic 
uh, scriptures in it. I'll read a few passages this morning. If you have a week-long Advent, you'll read many, many more this week. But I want to read from Isaiah 9 and just hear the words of the prophet speaking to the people at that time that were experiencing the brokenness of their world and the brokenness of people. And and he wrote this message of hope, this prophetic words of hope to them in what they were dealing with and for all of the people that would come after them for generation after generation. Here's Isaiah 9. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. I've kind of highlighted all the the hope-filled phrases, right? They will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You, speaking of the Lord, you will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break again the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war, they will all be burned. They will be fuel for fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called. Again, all these prophetic words, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and the government and its peace will never end. He's saying, listen, guys, I know that you're experiencing, and he's speaking to the God's people, I know you're experiencing the pain and brokenness of this world, but I want you to know there is hope for God will do, and he will be, and he will fulfill this promise. For unto us a son is given and unto us a son is born. Why did he say that? Well, earlier in Isaiah, he specifically spoke the words we heard this morning. And we sang about, go ahead and go to uh, Isaiah 7. Look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means, and read those four words with me out loud, God is with us. This is what hope looks like. And this is what the hope, especially of the Jewish scriptures and especially of the story of Christmas, represents. Now, if we really want to understand hope in terms of what we're talking about today, in terms of scriptural hope, biblical hope, we have to kind of talk about what not just what hope is, but what hope is not. Because we use the word hope all the time, okay? I mean, we just do. We use the word hope a lot, Okay? Like, I hope, oh, I hope, you know, the, the church is decorated for Christmas. I hope we sing some Christmas songs, right? I hope this all, I hope everybody gets to get together again for Christmas like we did at Thanksgiving. It was so wonderful, you know? I hope, you know, that, that all that whipped cream was fat-free, right? Nobody hopes that, let's be honest, right? No. Maybe, maybe, maybe we hope that all that stuff we ate isn't going to totally wreck the diet, right? We use the word hope a lot. And I want to just kind of really hit on some, some uh, what I would say, some imposters that sometimes when we use the word hope, even in a faith context, sometimes we are insinuating or using hope in the wrong way. We're really, really not talking about biblical hope, as we're going to talk about today. We, we, we usually use these two ideas, at least people think they are, is optimism and wishful thinking. And hope is not these things. 
Hope is not optimism, okay? Now, optimism is great to have, okay? Just, I'm not trying to knock any of the optimists in the room, all right? Hope is great. I mean, optimism is wonderful, and you can see the, the silver lining and everything, and you can, you, <laughs> you can want the best possible future, and you can kind of align all the circumstances to sort of, if you just wink and tilt your head and, you know, look at it this way, you can, you can see the most positive outcome. That's optimism, right? Now, I have to be honest. I'm a, my wife calls me a fatal optimist. Okay? That's me. So optimism is not bad, but when you speak words of hope and they really are fueled by optimism, that's not actually hope. It's just optimism. And then there's wishful thinking, right? There's wishful thinking. Wishful thinking is things are so incredibly bad and all the circumstances are pointing to something bad and I'm going through something really bad, but if I just hope, maybe everything will just change. Maybe everything will just turn, right? I like the word automagically, right? It'll just automagically happen, right? So we, we hope that we went through Thanksgiving and we lost 10 pounds. We wishfully think those things. And so sometimes when we use the word hope, it does kind of come across as this wishful thinking, but that's not what hope is. So again, these things, listen, they're not bad. We see our kids grow up with wishful thinking. We never want to see that die in our kids, right? We never want to see that really die. And sometimes sometimes it's just in adulting, it just dies away. We don't want to, you know, not have the optimist in our life, right? We need to have the optimist and the realist, as my wife would call herself. We want to have all of them in our lives, right? But when we talk about hope, when we read the Word of God, it's going to be used, depending on your translation, over 200 times you're going to see the word hope show up in Scripture. You're going to look at an understanding of what did the hope mean in terms of Jesus coming. We need to understand what hope really does mean and what hope really is. Now, in the Jewish Scripture, in the Old Testament, I want to give you some quick language, uh, language study, not, not too crazy, but just real quick, for you to see some of the words and their context as they are translated to the word hope in your Bible. In the Old Testament, you'll see these two words most often translated. So one is yakal, which is waiting, it's just waiting. And, and it does have the tense, if you will, or the picture. The Hebrew language is a picture language. It has the sense of awaiting on someone, okay? Wait, not waiting on circumstances to change, but waiting on someone. That's yakal. So you'll, see, you'll read a lot of the Psalms, you'll read a lot of David, and when he writes about waiting, you're hoping in the Lord, that's a waiting on the Lord. Then you have kavah, okay? And that's a little bit more of kind of how we would use it sometimes too. It's the, it's the tension of expectation. And that is in circumstances to a degree. That's, for the, that's to see how things are going to turn out. And so, so kavah kind of has this root, if you will, of, and I wish I would have brought like a cord or a rope up here, but it has the root of a rope, you know, being pulled. And when you pull a rope, you get that tension, you know, you get that thing. And the kavah really comes from the idea of like, it's the expectation of what's going to happen. Is it going to snap? Is it going to hold together? It's the tension that rests there. That's what that word means. And when kavah is used as the word hope in scripture, it's the idea that there, there's an, expect, an expectation and expectancy and, and anticipation and tension of waiting on something. And really, ultimately, as we see, waiting on promises to be fulfilled. 
So as we look at a couple of the prophetic scriptures talking about the hope of Jesus coming one day, the hope of a Messiah, the hope of a Savior, we understand these words being used all through the Jewish scriptures, all through the Old Testament. <clears throat> Let me go to uh, Micah first. This is another prophetic scripture where it says, but you, O Bethlehem, not necessarily talking about the city itself, but the people in terms of the city, you are a small village among the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origin is in the distant past, meaning that the, the, you'll see a, another translation is the ancient of days, referring to God, will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Again, a lot of these prophecies point to one another. Then at last, his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. And he will, then he will stand back and lead his flock with the Lord's strength and the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world. And he will be the source of peace. When you get this kind of scripture, again, just like Isaiah did, um, the, the biggest thing you want to pull away from these prophecies is that as they foretold of this, of this and you'll see some other language about kind of the, 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 uh, a, a rod or a stem shooting out from Jesse's stump, which is, you know, talking about the lineage of Jesse in terms of David, King David, says it's not just going to be another king. He's going to come, God's saying he's coming from me. And he's going to be rooted in the ancient of days, which means he's not just going to be a man. He's going to be me showing up, me coming and serving in my own power. Zechariah says it this way when he says, I want you to tell them, this is the, the, the prophet, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says, here is a man called the branch. This is another phrase used for, for Jesus. He says, he will branch out from where he is and build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he will build the temple of the Lord, and then he will receive royal honor and will rule as king from his throne. And he will also serve as priest from his throne. And there will be perfect harmony between the two roles. Now, this is huge. Because if you know anything about, you know, Israel's past, you know the Jewish people's past, like they understood the idea of kings and they understood the idea of prophets and priests. But there was not usually perfect harmony between those two things. They experienced so much pain and so much brokenness from the kings, their kings, and from invading kings, as well as the religious leaders of their day, their priests and their prophets. And here is Zechariah saying, there is one who's coming. There is a hope for one who's coming, who's going to fulfill those expectations and fulfill those promises as we wait, as we hope in God. And he, when he serves, he's not going to rule as king, he's going to rule as priest, and there's going to be perfect harmony between. You take that all the way up to Jesus, when Jesus was born, and you know the context of they were being ruled by and oppressed by Rome, you know, as a as Caesar, as emperor, okay, that's beyond king, right? Caesar, emperor, in terms of the Roman Empire. And then the religious leaders and the priests were so far off base, and, and just the struggle that was there that Jesus came and the hope of Jesus, the hope of this Savior would come to heal. If you want to understand hope, first and foremost, is the way it's used in the Old Testament, you need to see that biblical hope is rooted in God's past faithfulness to his people. That it wasn't circumstantial. 
right? Again, it wasn't optimism. It wasn't wishful thinking. It was all driven by the fact that God was faithful to his people. And so for them to look forward, I'm going to stand over here, for them to look forward to a Messiah, for them to look forward to the birth of a Savior, they had to remember God's faithfulness in their past. So that their hope as they were waiting, whether the circumstances looked good or not, they were waiting and choosing to wait on the Lord. They were choosing to wait on him to show up, the tension, the expectation to fulfill the promises that he had. And so true hope, biblical hope, is not that optimism. It's not that wishful thinking. It's rooted in understanding God's faithfulness. Guys, which is why the Jewish people, it's one of the reasons that even from before they were recording all Scripture, like the, the oratory of passing stories down from generation to generation, so that people would learn and hear their history. It was so incredibly important. It's one of the reasons that as followers of Christ, we read the Old Testament, right? We read the Old Testament, not prescriptive, not, not just prescriptive in terms of this is what you're called to do now. We read it from the historical aspect of our hope is not just in what God is doing and what we believe he will do, but our hope is actually rooted in God's past faithfulness to his people. Because God has been faithful. He has fulfilled every promise. He has fulfilled every prophecy in the coming of Jesus. And so we know that that's where hope really does lie. And so maybe, again, we can't just come to Christmas, maybe even if we claim to be kind of celebrating Advent and just view Advent from this direction in terms of a, of a past historical event. Oh, the baby and the manger and the shepherds and the wise men and all the, all the amazing part of that story. And I know many of you, that's your favorite part of Christmas. You're like, Platt, Matt, please get to the story. Okay? And I promise we will. But we can't just view it as a historical event, as a historical story. We have to remember that this candle of hope, this understanding of, of Jesus coming, this advent, had everything to do with God being faithful to his word, faithful to his people, and fulfilling a promise for generation after generation after generation. Now, on this side of advent, we have the New Testament. And in the New Testament, the word that's used for hope most often again, is LPs. It's a Greek word. Again, meaning anticipation. LPs. And so many times when you read the New Testament, when you read the New Testament, you, you read the word hope. And again, we, we can, you know, if we're not careful, we'll just think hope in terms of optimism, in terms of wishful. But that hope is actually rooted in the anticipation of what Jesus said he was going to do. And of what Jesus, God, through the Son, and the work that he did was going to fulfill in God's people. That's what this L piece really does mean. And Paul says that in Romans 8, I love Romans 8, it's one of my favorite chapters in Romans, he says, you know, we do not hope as the world hopes because we are saved by this hope that comes from God. In Romans 15, it says, it's the God of hope, the source, the provider, the supplier of this hope through Jesus Christ. If you go to Romans 8, you'll also see this as another, again, the passage in terms of seeing this word used. 
Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. Paul is saying, you're going to experience the brokenness. Everyone's going to be touched by the brokenness of sin and the brokenness of this world and the personal brokenness and the brokenness in the world itself. We're all going to be experiencing, yet nothing we suffer can compare to the glory that's going to be revealed. And he says, for all creation is actually eagerly waiting. That's that anticipation, right? For the future day when God will reveal who his real children are, or his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, right, eager peace, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay, when the brokenness is gone. And later on, if you go down to verse 23, it says, we too wait with eager hope, El peace. We do, we wait with the same hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We are given this hope when we're saved. Now, I want you to see that, because this is, this is important in terms, of, in terms of understanding the New Testament when we read the word hope. That it, it's part of this is coming from the idea, not just of what Jesus has done for us, because he gives us this hope when we're saved, but it's the fullness of the hope in terms of even the Jewish scriptures. It's the past faithfulness of God and what he promised he would do through the Savior. It's the work of the Savior in our life because we're given this hope when we're saved. But the anticipation in us is that God is going to do so much more, right? And if you were here as a part of our eternity series, we talked a lot about this on the heaven week, and you can go back and listen to that in terms of the new bodies and what we're going to experience. Like, there's so much more to this life than just the life we're living and the brokenness we have to experience. That's, what it, that's where this real hope is rooted, in what God has done, what he is doing, and what he promised he will do. Peter says it this way, and we sang about it this morning so well. Peter says it this way. He says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into what? Read those two words out loud. A living hope. Okay, one more time. We're going to do this again. All right, praise be to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ! Exclamation point. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a what? That's right, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The fullness of our hope can never be just future, just future thinking, future looking, futuristic, wishful thinking, optimism. That is not the hope we have in Christ. Matter of fact, as we say it around here in terms of journey, absolute hope is rooted in Jesus Christ. It is, it is, is synonymous with Jesus Christ. That's why we use those words. And it is in his birth, the advent, right? The hope of the Savior. It's in his birth. It's also in his death and resurrection. And in his return, which is both sides of the advent. That's where absolute hope comes from. It's the fullness, the fullness, again, of God's past faithfulness to his people in the salvation work he does through Jesus Christ and in the future he promised his children. 
the future he promised all of us. That's hope. That's where our hope is rooted. That's where our hope rests in. Now, today, I will say that, again, some of you who came, maybe watching, you're so deep in the darkness right now. You, see, you feel so hopeless in the brokenness you are personally experiencing. That Christmas is not something you're looking forward to. Just talked to a couple folks this morning and it's, and it's true, they've lost loved ones, it's, they've lost relationships this year. And entering Christmas is not something, I mean, everybody else is singing joy of the world, and, you know, and they are not looking forward to it at all. And that might be true of somebody here today. Just, I mean, the feeling that you feel is real because we're all going to experience brokenness to some degree, whether it's just externally and you see it in the world or whether it's personal and it's beginning to affect you and your family members and your loved ones. You need hope. And that hope, you've put your hope in so many things and you've tried to place your hope and latch your hope onto so many different things, but you still feel empty. You still feel like that hope that you say is in God or that you, you know, kind of slap the Jesus bumper sticker on is still in circumstance. It's still in, will this ever end? Will this be solved? Will this happen? Will this not happen? Everything you hope, you hope in, is just optimism and wishful thinking. It's really not rooting, rooted in and resting in Jesus Christ. And that's the hope you need today. Listen, maybe, maybe the loss of a loved one, again, and the loss of maybe a relationship is so overwhelming right now. You don't honestly know what's next. For many, I know the fear of sickness and cancer in your life and to those close to you is sometimes all you can think about. I mean, you try. You're trying to, to fix your eyes on Christ, but your thought, your mind is overwhelmed with fear. The internal battle of depression and anxiety or addiction, you feel like it's finally going to break you. You feel that tipping point coming. Maybe it's just the isolation and the loneliness you feel of the lack of friendships and the lack of relationships and the lack of connection that you have in your life right now. I'm here to tell you today as we light this candle that your hope does not rest in any of those things changing. Your hope rests in God has been faithful to you in your past. God is faithfully with you in your pain. God has a plan and a promise for you that he is going to fulfill whether you understand the circumstances or not. That is the absolute hope of Jesus Christ. And that's what we get to celebrate. Maybe that's for you today. Maybe that's you needing, you need that gift of hope speaking into your life right now. But maybe, maybe you're fine. 
Okay? You're rolling into this Christmas season. Everything is coming up you. Everything's coming up Matt, you know? It's just going amazing. Listen, I'm happy for you. Okay? I want you to just rejoice and celebrate like Christmas like you've never had it before. But I want you to know that if you are a follower of Christ, that you are the people of hope. And there are going to be people in your life this year who are not celebrating Christmas the way you are. They're neck deep in the brokenness of their life and they're in your workplace and they're in your family and they're in your circle of the top five of the people that you've, God has placed on your heart to pray for and to witness to and to love on. And they need that message of hope. They need to know that when you as a follower of Christ speak about the hope you have, it is not optimism. It is not wishful thinking. It is the fact that God has been faithful to his people. That by Jesus Christ, he has saved me and given me new life and a living hope in him. And no matter what I'm facing and no matter what you're facing, God has a plan for you. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says it this way. Let us, followers of Christ, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. You know, let's read all that together, okay? Sometimes it's good to get scripture in your head and in your mouth, okay? So let's read this verse together as a church. Let's read it out loud. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. One more time. Read it out loud like we're all in class together. Okay, you ready? Let's do it one more time. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. I'll tell you the truth about this hope candle. It represents... For many, many people, the idea that when you embrace or when you engage in that brokenness in your life and you feel like you can barely hold on to hope, that absolute hope doesn't have anything to do with whether you're holding on to it or not. Absolute hope rests in the fact that Jesus has never let you go, right? Absolute hope doesn't rest in whether you can hold on to it. Absolute hope rests in the fact that he who promised is faithful. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, I'm so thankful for the hope of your word. That we get the, the, the fullness of the context of, of your word in terms of the history of God's people and, and the faithfulness of, of what you have done from Genesis and what you continue to do all the way through now and then you will continue to promise to do through eternity. God, we get to see all of it. God, I'm so thankful for the hope that you delivered through Christ. The reason for this season that we celebrate as followers, was, was a promise fulfilled. And yet, God, we the people of hope, we so desperately need to make sure that our hope is rooted in you, Jesus. 
and the faithfulness of the past and the salvation of the present and of the promises of the future that you have given to us and to your people and to your church. God, may we leave this place today, no matter how we came in, no matter how much of brokenness is affecting us right now, may we leave this place with hearts infused with hope that there is hope for our families, that there is hope for our lives, there is hope for our friends, there is hope for those, our loved ones, there is hope for those circumstances that feel hopeless, there is hope for this world because of you. That regardless of whether we think we can hold on to hope, God, you've called us to stand in that hope unswervingly because you've never let us go. You, who promised, is faithful to us. Thank you, Jesus, so much for this Advent season as we celebrate as a church. In your name, Jesus, amen.